everybody. Welcome to another thrilling episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm your host today, Will Button. And joining me today is Adarsh Shah. Adarsh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So uh, do you want to give us a quick introduction and tell us tell us what we're going to talk about today? Sure. My name is Adarsh Shah. As you mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO at CompuZest. I've basically played a lot of different roles over the years, from uh, a developer to an architect to a consultant to technical product owner, mentor, advisor. So, But I'm an engineer at heart who loves to build stuff that helps business, technology stuff that helps run business. And right now, I'm, I've, be, I've built a product as part of a company that I founded and also do some consulting and advising around the DevOps and infrastructure as code space. Right on. So one of the things, and I want to jump in this because I'm really excited about this. One of the things that you put in one of the the uh, articles I read from you was talking about not infrastructure as code, but environment as code. You want to bring everybody up to speed on that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what I and some of the colleagues that I've worked with realized over the years is like, and infrastructure is, code is great, right? Because it helps us automate provisioning of various infrastructure resources on cloud providers, on-premises. But what we realized is what people need is an entire environment, right? Just having your networking or just having your EC2 instances or what have you is not going to give you everything you need to run your application. Right. Um, so what I and my teams have done in the past is like kind of go through this painful process of like write pipelines that run stuff, connect various pieces of these. Uh, if you think about it as Lego pieces, like bring them together and kind of those things get really complicated and very difficult to manage. So what I kind of thinking about this more and more in last few years, I was like, you know what? I mean, there has to be a better way of bringing these pieces together. So I started thinking of this as a concept and eventually named it as environment as code. It's just an abstraction over infrastructure as code that basically provides a way of defining an entire infrastructure environment, right? Not just a single component or a resource, but also it manages state for the entire environment, including the dependencies between various resources and also supports best practices, right? Like when you look at infrastructure as code, one way of getting this whole environment is by writing this monolith infrastructure as code where you can put everything together, right? right. But that's not a good practice, right? Like thinking about loose coupling and things like that. So yeah, that's kind of what I call it in environment as code. But basically it allows teams to deliver entire environment instead of individual infrastructure resources rapidly and reliably at scale. Yeah, whenever I just first read the term, it was like this huge light bulb went off because I think the term itself is so much more descriptive of what we're trying to accomplish many times with infrastructure as code because the infrastructure itself is just a component of the overall environment, right? And each piece, each individual piece of the infrastructure is pretty meaningless 
unless it's coupled with all the different pieces of that environment. And, and like you mentioned, I've built many environments using that monolith approach. And then you have to update one dependency in there or change out one of the components. And uh, it follows very much along the lines of building a monolith software application, you know, where just making small changes becomes this task that you dread and procrastinate and hope that you don't have to do it knowing full well that you're going to have to anyway. Yeah, exactly. And and some of the other things, right? So uh, some of the principles that we talk about is like immutability, right? So you want to be able to uh, easily provision a brand new set of, like, let's say if we talk about servers, rather than updating and keeping a long lasting server, in case of this, applying that same principle to the entire environment, right? So why keep your various components living for long? Can you actually replicate that entire environment rather than just an individual component? Right on. So for someone listening who's liking this idea and wants to explore it further, what do you think the first steps to migrating from infrastructure as code to environments as code is is like? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I think it's just an abstraction for... So, thinking about these various pieces and how they get together. So what we did is we essentially, uh, to, to keep it really simple, is created a simple YAML format. Again, this is new. So I'm like a lot of that I'm saying, at least from my perspective, what I've seen, uh, I haven't seen anyone talk about it this way, but it's new. So uh, what we did is we provide a very simple format, a YAML format that actually specify these individual resources or components and how they connect with dependencies. I have an article that that I think I shared that talks about the principles and how what this means. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said, early stage. So I would say like something that allows you to create an abstraction on top of infrastructure as code that gives you an entire environment rather than individual component, right? Because a lot of people, like I said, write pipelines, right, to, to do this. And then you have to think about things like, hey, how do I provision stuff? But how do I tear down, right? Because tear down would be totally, totally opposite graph, right? So you have to tear down those leaf nodes first. And, and you just write all this complex logic if you change. So defining an entire environment, an easy format that provides ways to connect those Lego pieces, if we talk about it. And then that takes and interprets like into and provisions those individual pieces so that uh, you get an entire environment. Right on. One of the things you put in that article, you mentioned in there about keeping everything in source code, but then you added to that a little thing that I, I know I've slipped up a lot in the past doing this and I've encountered situations where other people have done the same, like those one-off scripts that you only run ever once in a while about how important it is to get those into source control as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, talking about, I think you're talking about the patterns and practices in general for infrastructure as code environment goes, it doesn't matter. So yeah, like I think, yeah, same here, right? I have a situation where like, hey, we just ran the script and, you know, Forget about it, right? Like it's, right. It's, on, it's, it's on someone's machine. And then you try to find who did that and how it was done. So yeah, I mean, source control being a place where you can track things, have auditing, right? Who who pushed so you can 
talk to the 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 person about it and so yeah like I, I think people say like hey just put your terraform code or Pulumi code or configuration no everything including bash scripts that are lying so like you know uh, that you use once in a while everything needs to go there <laughs> yeah what about documentation do you like documentation in the code itself or do you have a preferred tool like confluence or something else for keeping track of docs yeah, yeah. I mean, so one of the things with docs is like, a lot of people say this, like, hey, you do infrastructure as code, or like everything is in code. Why do you, why do you need documentation? Right. And it's just, I mean, yes, you don't, you need less documentation, but you still need, need documentation. Right. Uh, and yeah. in general, documentation is hard. I understand. Um, <laughs> but so like, like a lot of people are like, and I used to at one point, I was like, hey, we don't need documentation because, you know, everything is codified, but these, <laughs> you still need right and talking about documentation right quality documentation making it available where let's say there is an error provide a link that can take the person who's actually looking at it directly to that and also it's just providing a way to to keep it updated right so like I can draw a diagram or like write documentation and just, you know, like, hey, it's out out of date. It's not going to be useful because it's actually giving you wrong information. Uh, So, yeah, like I prefer obviously have naming things better in your code, right? Because that tells you what it is. But (laughs) definitely have some documentation that's external to the code that'll get you started. Even it could be like, hey, here's an index of things that you you look at. This is how you onboard a team member or a customer or a user of your system. Also look at things like uh, run books, right? That helps you look at specific scenarios around troubleshooting and things like that. Another important aspect about documentation is like not everything is automated and you actually don't need to automate everything right away, right? But you hit that second or third time you're trying to do the same thing. Maybe document at first if things are not automated and then use that run book or what have you to actually automate things later, right? Because that way there is a progression into getting to that automated state. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like everything doesn't have to be automated because some things like in my experience, one of the common scenarios I've hit over and over again, I work a lot with early stage startups. And so we'll build stuff and then that will fail and it just gets scrapped and never comes back to life. And so when I think about automating things, you know, I try to automate the things that are going to survive into the future. And it seems to save a lot of time. And I know that there's a tendency to automate everything. But for some things that just are going to fail fast and then disappear and never be brought back to life again, you can actually move a lot faster if you don't try to automate those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, especially, let's say you, you have a, uh, there is an error in, in, in one of your environments and then it's like, fixing or troubleshooting right even documenting those steps and then eventually using that documentation to actually have a fix right because so whenever you talk about environments as code is is there a right size of team or environment where it starts to make sense to implement this yeah and i think yeah it's like if you have a very simple setup yeah it's it doesn't make sense to start complicating things because obviously with with this like that also comes a little bit of complication. So yeah, I mean, I think 
I don't have a number for that, but I would say it's like a typical setup where you have various layers of your uh, environments, right? So your networking layer, your platform layer, your application infrastructure layer, right? Like databases and things like that. Once you get into those kind of things and an application is not like your setup is not as straightforward as let's say I am just provisioning an EC2 instance or like just, you know, using lambdas or what have you, right? Which is Mm -hmm. like very straightforward. Yeah, I would start thinking about it because the other way to look at it as well is that, hey, let's start with writing these pipelines, right? That provision these to start with, And then once you start feeling that pain of like adding the third component or the fourth, and I was like, okay, now this is getting like, how do we tear it down? Then start looking with with anything in software, right? Don't overcomplicate to start with. But once you start feeling those that pain, think about a way to abstract it, which makes sense for for provisioning the entire environment. I think we can come up with a new buzzword there. Instead of test-driven development, we can call it pain-driven development. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems to be my big motivator. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got, you've got some thoughts here on testing. What is, what are your, what's your high level overview of the types of testing that you need to have wrapped around this? Yeah, so testing for infrastructure as code, environment code, as in, I mean, thinking about the the test pyramid that we keep talking about when we talk about application testing, right? So kind of similar uh, uh, idea, but obviously it's different, right? Like writing unit tests for your infrastructure's code is, is going to be uh, complex. I mean, there are tools that allow you to. Whether you need it is another question, right? So let's kind of Yeah. So let's kind of talk about a typical test pyramid for something like this. Um, I start with at the bottom, it's like um, do static analysis, right? So if you're doing Terraform, like do things like Terraform Validate, TFLint, or maybe you're using Puppet or what have you. Like all of these tools have some static analysis uh, tool. when you get into unit testing, it it really depends. What I tend to suggest is like, if it's uh, something like Terraform that is declarative, that actually allows you to define the desired state and, and it's Terraform's responsibility to actually get you to that desired state versus more like your conditionals and things like that, where you need to write some complex unit tests and things like that. I would, I, I would say you don't need unit tests when you're talking about declarative stuff because you are not writing that logic to actually make something happen. You're just defining a desired state there. Right. And then it's it's the tool's job, right? So if there's a failure within the tool itself, it'll tell you that, hey, it can't get you to that desired state. So like most of the cases, you don't have those, those complex logic, right? But then if you move up this t- uh, pyramid, you talk about integration tests, right? Which makes sense in this case could be like in your provisioning pipeline or what ha- whatever you're using you you can bring up an ephemeral environment a temporary environment and then run some tests against that so let's say you need a setup with networking and and like some platforms like eks and what have you you can run some basic integration tests to see like if those resources 
have the things like, for example, running to make sure like, hey, none of your S3 buckets are public, for example. So you do those things ahead of time rather than when you actually provision that production environment, right? So you don't want to be finding those issues late. Right. And then the last one there is like, which I have found useful is like the best way to test your infrastructure or environment that you have provisioned is by running, deploying a dummy app. So let's say you're provisioning a Kubernetes cluster, you can run like one simple dummy app that is close to what you would be typically running and then run some smoke tests just to see like, you know, if if you can get there. So Again, it's a test pyramid. So the at the bottom where your static analysis and the things like that, you'll have more of those tests rather than and when you as you go up the pyramid, you have less of these tests because they are more expensive and time consuming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things you said in there that I really want to call attention to is talking about unit tests and with a declarative type framework like Terraform, there's really not a lot of value in unit tests because at that point you're testing, like, did the tool actually do its job? And a tool like Terraform already has tests to cover that. So you can you can save yourself a lot of time and effort by just acknowledging what tests the tool has that test that the tool is doing its job. Right. But yeah, I mean, if you're writing, let's say, Bash, maybe, like where you have all this logic, then in that case, that's different. Yeah. So how do you deal with baking security into the environment? Yeah. And that, that's the thing. A lot of people like, I mean, that's a very important aspect, right? And, and a lot of people tend to like, Hey, what do we need to care about security here? But yeah, I mean, I think a few different things to consider. One is you with, with these tools, right? Since it's automated, you need to give these languages, tools or whatever is running access to your AWS, Azure, or what, whatever you're using to actually provision these, right? So the easiest thing is give root access, everything you can. Do everything, <laughs> and then you know if it's compromised, right? So I think one of the things is using uh, a role-based access control, or or trying to limit the surface area of attack, right? And looking at if there are various layers of your infrastructure environment, maybe having different roles for those that give limited access to doing those things. Because especially when you have production running, one credential gets compromised or or so, like you can compromise, basically give. And I've I've had those issues. I've, I've gone through it with multiple customers. So that'll just stop everything, right? Like the whole thing is compromised rather than saying like, hey, there's limited access. So even if things are compromised, the surface area is less. Another thing you can do is if you use tools like HashiCorp Vault or I think even Secrets Manager AWS, they have a rotation policy, right? So, mm-hmm. so you can, you can have these dynamic credentials created that are then used. So again, it's, it's time based. Uh, they, they expire, right? So like you, you're not exposing it for a long time. Um, but in general, you need secrets, right? So uh, when you are provisioning your environments or infrastructure, so keep it in, in general, like just, basics, right? Keep it in some kind of a good secrets management tool 
which which stores that and then also looking at things like uh, security scanning so basically running running those as part of your provisioning process early on where you can spin up ephemeral environments there are tools like cis benchmark the amazon has, aws has inspector and things like that that allows you to run these uh, security tests or scanning to see like if you have things exposed right like is is your s3 bucket public somehow or like your databases are exposed and things like that so it'll also check for other vulnerabilities so yeah like i mean these are some of the things uh writing some common security tests like using inspect and things like that also help like where it could be like just any infrastructure environment you provision we just run these kind of common security tests to see like your network is is secured your, your resources are secured would also be a good idea yeah, and I think that's one of the one of the possibly hidden benefits to using this approach that you've got of the environment the environment ba- based approach because like if you have this monolith infrastructure and you have security groups in there you've got to think about this security group and say oh, okay this security group they need access to MySQL and Elasticsearch and uh, the Redis cache. And then there's an API server and there's all these different rules and exceptions and all that kind of stuff in there that creates this huge vulnerability footprint. But if you break it down like you're recommending here to where everything is just a, a component, then you can, when you're building out that component, you can say, well, this component needs to talk to Postgres. So we'll open the Postgres port and you don't have to open anything else up. And then when you tear it down, you know that you can safely tear down that security group because you know the one and only place that it was ever used. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I, I talk about when I talk about environment is code is like blueprints or templates for your entire environment, right? So if you build these blueprints using best practices, keeping security, compliance, and, and other best practices in mind, essentially you can you can templatize it and then kind of use that and say like, hey, we b- did this and this is like certified or, you know, uh, uh, by, by our team. Uh, and then you can share it with other teams within your org. Uh, so that gives you that versus if you look at like, you know, doing it using pipeline or other things, it's very diff- different, uh, difficult to like, you know, creates these templates for the entire environment. Yeah, because once you change the pipeline, just everything downstream is now in a, an unknown state. Yeah, plus these pipelines are not meant to run these things. They they are more generic, and then like you write all the logic to make whatever happen, right? So it just gets complicated. Yeah. So speaking of the the pipeline, whenever you do the infrastructure and build this out, what are the pros and cons of Using an autom- using a, a tool like Jenkins or Circle CI to deploy this out versus writing it and building it and deploying it manually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it's a very important aspect, especially when again, one thing I say, like if you have a very simple setup, you're getting started. Maybe you don't need it right away because let's say you are the only developer, or like you know, you have a very small team, but. Um, as you as you grow and you look at uh, provisioning and automating these things, having this shared auto like execution environment, right? I call it where um, things are set up which are um, replicated, right? So 
hey, it works on my machine problem, right? Like, uh, right. like, hey, I ran this, but oh, you had this version of Terraform or this version of that, right? So, so you can avoid that. And basically, I feel like using any of these pipelines is one way, right? Or that have this a common setup that you use every time, right? So it's not your machine. It's something that's uh, has all the tools and right versions and things like that that definitely gives that. It also gives visibility, especially if you're running these tools a lot of times, you know, they manage state. And and if you run a lot of times things locally, you have local state and stuff like that. Moving all that to a shared place helps because then you know if i am doing something versus some some, one of my team members is running they all go to the same place to do that also there's another way is gitops which is more and more talked about recently but essentially how i see gitops is basically you take your infrastructure as code add a workflow to it which is typically your pr process which all the developers are used to is like hey create a pr someone approves it once it's approved and merged to your main branch it automatically provisions that so now you don't need to push a button or do anything right but but it also has this flow which i feel is a nice flow of like, you know, PR process, right? So you can have people approve it, take a look, comment it before you you merge it. And then I also feel in there that uh, GitOps is like this control loop logic, right? That talks about this detecting drift and kind of bringing back the desired state, uh, uh, actual state to desired state if things go out of sync. Uh, So I feel like that GitOps way is another way of looking at it when you are running uh, your infrastructure's code or, or environment code, but using like a, this shared environment. 